Kia ora, I'm Emile Donovan, and today on The Detail, for weeks, for months, we've been told Omicron is a matter of when, not if. And Sunday, January 23rd, turned out to be the when. Nine COVID-19 cases reported yesterday in the Nelson-Marlborough region have now been confirmed as the Omicron variant. Omicron is here. The nation's shot back into the red traffic light system and the message from government, opposition and medical experts alike was clear. And there is one task that I'm explicitly requesting New Zealanders to undertake as soon as possible. Get boosted. Today on the podcast, boosters. Why are they necessary? What do they do? When can you get them and could that change? Will children have to get them? When might that happen? And the lingering question, is this it? Is this the future? A new booster shot every six months for the rest of our lives. Professor Graham Legros is an immunologist, a research professor at Victoria University, and director of the Maligan Institute of Biomedical Research. I began by asking him whether he agrees that boosters are key moving forward. Yes, actually, I think that's, in fact, it wasn't emphasised enough as far as I was concerned. I think that's the only way we're going to get out of this, to protect people from, you know, quite serious infections. We've got to need, we need that booster, the power of creating a really strong immune defence for a person and a population can only be achieved through the booster shot. And I hope we can discuss that a bit further later on. Why is that? Let's do that now then. Why is that? Why is the booster so crucial here? Yeah, the booster is quite different from the first and second. And sometimes with some vaccines, we even have a third dose. That's just prepping your immune system, getting all the immune cells involved. What a booster is, it's you then have this long period because you put the antigens in, they stimulate the immune system, they trickle along, everything gets activated, and then you starve the immune system. You starve at six months, even longer. It's even better, longer. And what happens is only the most potent immune cells for neutralizing the virus you're vaccinating against survive. Even within the immune system, we've got to get rid of all the not-so-effective immune cells. They, they make bystander responses. They make responses to other parts of the virus we don't need to. So you have to start this period of immune starvation. It's called the period where between the primary, if you like, priming of the immune system so it gets going, and then you do the booster. So when you give the booster, the only immune cells left are really your most elite immune forces. They're the ones with high affinity neutralizing antibody, the right T cells that see the right determinants. And so when you boost, you only activate those. And so you then generate this amazing high teeter of just the antibodies you need. And they are killers. They will kill the virus very well. And that's the immunological trick. Big priming to start with, get everything going, let a selection period go on within the body so only the best are left alive, and then you boost that. Okay, so the vaccine is sort of, it's loaded up our body with troops, with troops that are there to fight the virus. And over the time that the vaccine is in our body, some of the troops, the softer ones, they get get killed off. The wannabes, yeah. Yeah, the the wannabes, wannabes, exactly, yeah. And so at the end, after a period of time, the ones that are left, the troops that are left are the ones, you know, the veterans, the Spartans, the 300. Spartans, prepare for glory! 
And so the booster shot comes along and it reinforces them, does it? Yeah, it really does. And it concentrates them because that's the power. You really need to have uh, these neutralizing antibodies that everyone talks about. They're high affinity. And that's what gives you the broad spread of immunity against many different variants. And it gets the core piece of the virus that you need to get. The virus is actually very clever. It'll try and make as many immune responses to all the other parts of its body, if you like, to decoy. You know, you know those jets or the fighter jets and they're always throwing off decoy flares. Viruses do that too. Mm. And so it'll happily have you making immune response to all these other things that it sheds. But you want to get the, vi- the immune response targeted that, say, the RBD of the spike protein. And this is a way of doing that. And the elite force that you're left with, the battle-hardened troops, if you like, they know how to do it. And they're the ones, when you boost it, they stay in the memory situation for a very long time. We've got evidence that, say, from the flu, the 1918 flu, it lasted 70 years in some individuals, Mm. this memory immune response. That's how good it is when you can boost it. And that's why the health officials, when they're talking about bringing it forward and you hear all these people talking about, oh, we've got to bring it forward to three months, four months or whatever, the trouble is you're denying this starvation period that only lets your elite forces and you're boosting the wrong cells, if you know what I mean. This explains why there's a period of time in between your second shot of vaccine and the booster. It's kind of like basic training for the cells in your body that are going to fight the virus. The longer you leave them in basic training, the more effective they're going to be. Rules around the world differ for how long you mean to wait. In the US and France and Germany, it's six months. In Australia, Italy and Singapore, it's five. Here, it's four though it used to be six. And in some places, like South Korea and Thailand and the UK, you only have to wait three months between doses. The delicacy of this situation, of course, is that four months is a long time, and Omicron is here. Now. Yeah, it's a compromise. So, because the virus is now really just amongst us now, it's better to get people boosted say, with a three- or four-month period, because at least you'll get them immune and they'll be protected, et cetera, et cetera, and we'll actually won't have as many problems because it's quite clear, even with the third shot slash booster, it does protect you against Omicron because there's enough of, a, there's enough of a booster effect that you get broad cross-reactive immunity against Delta, Omicron, et cetera. Mm. Ideally, if we had the virus stay away until we got all our act together, we'd be boosted at six months, and uh, then... Bring on the virus. But unfortunately, it's, it hasn't waited and it's just come here. So we've got to get on with it and just compromise. One question that I've heard a lot of is, does the booster protect us from contracting the virus? Does it protect us against getting really, really sick? Does it protect us against dying? What is the kind of split there? Does it do more of one than the other? Absolutely without fail. It protects us completely from Omicron, from dying, hospitalisation and severe illness. That date, 90%, 90%. What it doesn't do is protect us from getting reinfected as well as we'd like it. People are still getting scoring positive with the damn test. And so then we go to lockdown to avoid people like that spreading other virus. That's a secondary effect that trying to stop the spread of the virus to non-vaccinated or immune-compromised people. So absolutely protects against the individual's immune health the, 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 the thing is that um, the virus still is able to spread a little bit because it, it can get in the throat. It's not quite that sterilising immunity 
that we're striving for as vaccinologists, which I sorry, which I should say, which will come. We are doing research. We are making a New Zealand vaccine, which actually is designed to be a long-term, durable, high-affinity booster that just nails the virus to the wall and doesn't allow for infection. The vaccine rollout was varied. There was a long period of time where we did not get vaccinated, and I suppose we're seeing the consequences of that to an extent now. Many people, particularly Māori, were vaccinated relatively late in the picture. And, I mean, without wishing to, you know, turn this into a political thing or or say, oh, boo, you've screwed up here, are we seeing the effects now, do you think, of a flawed rollout process? Yeah. It's a tough word, flawed. Let's just say we're seeing the effects of a delayed rollout. It was hard to go back in time. You've got to go back in time and say... Did we have the level of of confidence from the general population in taking the vaccine? And there's a lot of misinformation. There's a lot of discussion from epidemiologists that, oh, we could keep the virus away with border control. There's a lot of things going around which made people hesitant of taking this new Pfizer vaccine. So I think it would be very hard to roll the vaccine out out much earlier than what we did Mm. because of this perceived confidence that we could keep the virus out, to be honest. Second thing is, did we actually have enough vaccine in the, in the in the country, and did we have the mechanisms of trained staff to distribute it? I don't think we did either. So there's a lot of things to get in place because we have been underdone in terms of any kind of responsiveness. Whereas in Singapore, it's Korea, some of the other countries, they deal with this stuff quite regularly. So they had a much faster, better rollout because they had people actually employed in the job much earlier. It's completely what you expect for when we haven't had a health system, haven't had to do this for many decades. Helen Petusis-Harris is a vaccinologist and associate professor at the University of Auckland. Why does the booster that, that we're being encouraged to get now, why does it appear to give us more resistance to Omicron than the vaccine alone? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a few things going on there. So firstly, two shots are actually pretty good at keeping people out of hospital with with Omicron. Of course, it's been a little while since a lot of people have actually received those first two shots. So those antibodies have waned. What the booster does, of course, is that it reduces the person getting infected in the first place. And even though it doesn't do that as well with Omicron, it still, you know, it still does a job. And um, overall, that can make quite a big difference in terms of both the person who's got the booster, but also in how they, um, how much they transmit it um, onwardly as well. So, um, so this is that combination of new and higher wave of antibodies that can neutralise the virus. And also that all important immune memory and all those T-cells and goodies like that. Mm. Now, the the waiting period, let's talk a bit about this. The period in between your second shot of vaccine and getting your booster shot at the moment is four months. Uh, this was moved down, I think, from the original six months. So w- why is there a waiting period? And is that waiting period relatively arbitrary? Could it come down again from four months to, to three months or two months or, what, or one month? What's the story there? Generally, there's a minimum period because you technically can't boost something that's not there. So if you haven't developed it, it's not a booster. It's another primary dose, if you like. So there's a minimum, and generally longer is better. So generally speaking, at least six months would be better. However... We do, you know, it's not a, um, you know, it's it's not sort of just a line in the sand. And we've got data now to show that you get a nice response when the gap is as little as three months for these vaccines. So it's a bit of a trade-off. And when you've got Omicron, uh, for example, it might be important to get those highest risk boosted sooner rather than later. 
does it present different complications, particularly in vulnerable people, immunocompromised people and the elderly, people with comorbidities, or is it a similar situation to the vaccine? In fact, people who, who are immune compromised or in, and elderly are less likely to have reactions, if you like, to, to the vaccine than uh, younger adults. But also important to point out that actually the youngest group, the 5 to 11s, have got relatively low risks, uh, low um, rates of these um, reactions. What is the situation when it comes to boosters in children? Obviously, I don't think anybody under the age of 12 would be able to get a booster under current settings, but will boosters in children become a thing? Not, I mean, not imminently. Um, it's not on the table now. Um, of course, um, this, they are still at lower risk, and um, as you as you sort of point out, they've just recently been vaccinated, so they're, they're sort of good, good as good to go as they can be at the moment. And we don't have enough data yet to guide our thinking. So I think um, I'd tend to park that um, and, and see how this whole thing evolves. But Graham Legros sees it slightly differently. The vaccine has been tested over and over again, uh, in hundreds of millions of people now, and found to be incredibly safe. And then we've moved to the progressively younger people, because why? Not because we're frightened that vaccines don't work in kids, or it's any worse. It's just we leave them to last after we've tested the old grotty people like ourselves. <laughs> and because the youngest are the most, well, the precious, if you like, and um, anything's worked out in the, in the wider population. And as we've gone down, of course, the vaccine works incredibly well in kids, as you expect, because everything works in kids. The immune systems generally work, and and we've just gone very carefully, well, not we, but the, the people pushing these vaccines through, they're being very carefully in trials, looking to see if the same thing happens in kids as it does in adults, same levels, and it's all been very good. The only thing they've done is they've taken account of body mass, size, and, and level of fatness, um, and the kids, of course, get a, the kids from five to eleven get a third of the dose, two doses, third of the dose, and I think it's a normal, one normal dose for the for eleven or twelve to, to eighteen year olds. But they should also get a booster because their immune system works exactly the same as adults. There's nothing different from kids, teenagers, or adults in terms of the way the immune system works. And in fact, kids are a little bit more tolerant. They've got a lot less of all the. The, the, the prickle type parts of the immune system and they actually do better, mm, okay. as you know. Mm, mm. Which is one reason why the viruses don't get the kids quite so much, whereas the holders do. Um, they just they don't have quite as many bumps in their immune system. You mentioned that the COVID vaccines have been tested uh, to the nth, deg- nth degree. Is that the case with boosters as, as well? No, exactly right. Um, with boosters, well, I suppose yes and no. The long-term effects, which is what we want to get with a booster, is high-affinity neutralising antibodies that last, hopefully, five years, for instance. From you know, That would be fantastic. Of course, we don't know that. That's what a, if the, the, the relevance of doing a booster is. And we don't know those results. It's going to take some time for that to work out. Um, in terms of health effects of the booster, nah, it's fine. Um, if you've tolerated the vaccine once, twice, and then the booster, it, it may hurt a bit more, but actually you know where you're at. It doesn't, it's, it's, you're fine. But then, of course, there's the biggest challenge of all, rolling the booster out and getting it into people's arms. 
The government is encouraging everyone to get their vaccine booster against COVID-19 as soon as possible. So far, only around half of those who are eligible have received that booster. The unwanted arrival of Omicron appears to have spurred on the country's COVID vaccine rollout, with the number of booster doses ticking over one million today. But that still leaves a quarter of a million people eligible for a booster who are yet to roll up their sleeve for it. Helen Petousis-Harris. I actually thought we were doing quite well heading towards 60% there. But, but, and, uh, but yeah, I think the important thing is that um, boosters are going to be even more important in people who are higher risk. So people who are elderly, health conditions, Māori and Pacifica, frontline high-risk occupations, I think those people need to really think and try and prioritise getting a booster. You hate to think that that 60 percent's made up of all the worried well who've just rushed down there to get their, get in quick with the booster. Um, we're actually these people that are much, you know much more needy. Um, so I think also we can't overwhelm those poor people who are trying to deliver uh, these boosters at the same time they're trying to roll out the vaccine in the kids as well. So we've got quite a lot. There's quite a lot to contend with there. It strikes, I'm speculating here, but it strikes me that maybe there is this attitude among people of, well, you know, I'm double vaccinated, maybe I'll need to take time off work to get boosted, uh, it'll make my arm hurt, you know, I'll be fine. Is that the wrong attitude to have? It's the wrong attitude to have for Omicron. Let's emphasise that. Two doses is not enough to deal with the consequences of Omicron. A couple of bits of misinformation have been going around that Omicron is somehow milder. Well, Scott Morrison has declared Omicron could be a game-changer for the world if it proves to be more mild form of COVID-19. And yet new laboratory studies are also beginning to suggest why Omicron infections appear less severe than previous COVID variants. Based on overseas studies and all that kind of stuff, no, we don't say that at all. Omicron can be a very deadly virus, and the best way to protect yourself from hospitalisation and getting really sick is to get that booster shot. So this is quite an important message and uh, to get out there. And I think we'll see that taken up a lot more when people start seeing in New Zealand people getting quite sick from Omicron who've got two shots and they say, well, how the hell did that happen? And then they realise and then they'll listen to the message, you need your booster. You need your booster to be safe from Omicron. You are safe from Delta with two shots, but not from Omicron. And that's, you can see for a lot of people who viruses and immunology is not their deal, they just want to get on with their life and work hard in the other areas of their, of their activity. Mm. And it's all confusing, all these different virus names, all these different booster shots. It's hard for people. It's a hard thing for the general population. to. And I think we need to somehow try and simplify the message and not have less voices talking about it all the time. If we're getting, if we're getting told that we have to get booster shots now, does that tell us anything about the efficacy of the original vaccines? Yeah, no, it's a, it's a very important question. Let's break it down. What's happened is those vaccines were very effective against the original virus that those vaccines were made against, the Wuhan and the Alpha, Beta. Where they're not effective is against Delta and Omicron. That's why you had to start going along this pathway, because the virus was evolving. Those vaccines were started. No one knew if the virus was going to evolve, so they made a vaccine based on the basically the Wuhan or on the um, alpha beta variants. And then blow me down. The virus just does what the viruses can do sometimes. It mutated away, so it escaped that immune shield that was created. 
with the Delta and the Omicron. So it's not that the vaccine was bad. It works very well with the original strains. It's a, it stops transmission. It just wasn't able to be as effective against the Delta and certainly not against the Omicron. And that's why the booster shot comes in and really makes such a powerful immune response. It then covers all of the viruses because you're right, the first one, two shots were just a bit, just to warm up the immune system. There could be a truth that the vaccine is not as efficacious because it's actually not really strong. Now, when the vaccine started off, it had to be so perfectly safe. The vaccine makers knew it was going to go out into hundreds of millions of people. When you have hundreds of millions of people, you're always worried about there's one or two or 10 people who've got the most unusual immune systems. They react badly and have, get really sick from the vaccine alone. And that completely stalls any vaccine rollout. So to really mitigate or not get caught up with that, I think, guessing, Pfizer made a very safe, safe vaccine, probably a little bit underdone. We can see that Moderna is probably a bit better vaccine because it's a bit got a bit more grunt in it. But what you see is that you get less reactions and so you have a general uptake from the population. It was more important to get more people a little bit vaccinated than a few people well vaccinated, but then the rest not saying they don't want any of that stuff. Can you see the thing? So it could be interpreted that, um, you yeah, know, it was just a shoddy made vaccine. But the big challenge right at the beginning was how to roll out a vaccine around the world globally that was safe because no one had seen, really seen the effects and they were worried. So yeah. that, that would I'd argue is an issue. No, that makes sense. I guess it's kind of like if you're cooking for a, a, an enormous group of people, you don't necessarily oh, yeah. want to make the meal that you're cooking super spicy or super anything necessarily because you, you kind of, you're trying to appeal to the... You, that's actually... I'm gonna, can I borrow that? That's a very good analogy. <laughs> <laughs> because I think people, that's what people don't quite understand. It's a terribly hard because it's a wacko different types of humans. Also, they do wacko things to their bodies. Some people are on all sorts of drugs and different things, recreational and otherwise. And you've got to be able to counter for the fact you give them a vaccine. They're not going to do something strange. You know, there's quite a hard call to do that. Speaking to those people who we were talking about before, you know, who who might be not necessarily dubious about getting a, a booster shot, but maybe there's a sense of inertia. They don't necessarily see the the immediate benefit or the importance of getting the booster shot. What is your message to people in that position? Certainly has an extra little bit of uh, protection against keeping you out of hospital and all of those terrible things, but also uh, can it, it, it it's it's going to play a much greater role in protecting those around you than the two doses, which is probably not going to have much effect at all on transmission of the Omicron variant. Please, please get that booster. It's the best thing you can do for yourself, for your partner, for your kids. You need to be well for what's coming, the storm that's coming with this COVID going, Omicron going around the community. The booster is the only way to stay safe from the Omicron at the moment. It's the best immune shield for you and the population in general. Get on with it. Use your power to get there. And let's make New Zealand safe. It's the only way, I'm afraid. That's it for today. I'm Emile Donovan. The detail is public interest journalism funded through New Zealand On Air and produced by Newsroom for RNZ. You can get us downloaded free to your mobile device every weekday from any podcast platform. And if you're using Apple, please leave us a rating so others can find us too. Today's episode was engineered by Adrian Holley and produced by Alexia Russell. And thanks to Graham Legro and Helen Petusas-Harris. Matewa.